You're listening to the SWAT Agronomy Podcast, the show for people who leverage the latest in technology to solve agronomic problems. If you're interested in on-farm application of precision ag technology, you've come to the right place. Get ready as we unpack the insights and experiences of the agronomic minds leading our industry forward. Today on the SWAT Agronomy Podcast. Like the SWAT maps we make now are far superior to what we used to make. It's easier to make SWAT maps in certain areas than it is in others. Luckily, we started where we did because it was a lot easier. Then that helped us develop new techniques for making maps. Employee number one at Croptimistic Technology and SWAT Maps Manager Brad Dunnington joins the show to share some of the secret sauce from behind the scenes of what it takes to build a useful map. If this is the first time you've listened to us here on the SWAT Agronomy Podcast, welcome. My name is Tim Hamrich. I'm a consultant and ag tech geek, and I get to host this show. I've partnered with the SWAT Maps team on this podcast, and we hope you'll join us as we explore where the latest in agronomy meets the latest in technology. Today, I sit down with employee number one at Croptimistic Technology. Brad Dunnington joined the company in 2008 and is now the SWAT Maps manager based remotely in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Brad processes raw data from SWAT boxes into SWAT maps for an agronomist to ground truth and then soil sample. This becomes a prescription file or controller file for a farmer to apply variable rate products in their field. You're going to get a real interesting peek behind the curtain, so to speak, today to understand how data collected in the field becomes a useful map for farmers and agronomists and what it took to develop this product over the years to what it is today. First, though, I asked Brad if he could give us a little bit of his background and what led him to Croptimistic Technology. I grew up on a family farm and actually raised market hogs during the summer months, starting when I was 12 or something. My dad bought me some pigs. And then I did that every year for several years. I actually had intentions of building a feeder barn, but I never did that. But I did farm with my dad for several years, and we also had a pulse processing plant on the farm that I worked at as well. And then we actually took a break from farming and concentrated on the pulse processing. But my heart is in farming. And on the pulses, was it lentils mainly? Uh, Lentils and chickpeas and field peas. All right. And then what eventually led you to Croptimistic? So I'd been acquainted with Corey Wellness for a few years prior. We actually met in university. He actually lived in my neighborhood and gave me a ride to to class for one semester, I guess. And then uh, we kind of kept in touch sporadically over the years. And then when he got into this, into variable rate mapping and so on, I was actually looking for a change in career and he approached me with a job and I started in 2008. So my wife and two young boys moved to Nakem. We actually left Nakem in July of 2021 and moved to Halifax, Nova Scotia because I'm able to work remotely. Yeah. And for those that don't know, you know, what is involved to take 
you know, data from a SWAT box and turn it into a SWAT map. What is the behind the scenes? How, how's the sausage made, so to speak, when it comes to that? So we need basically two sources of raw data, high quality elevation data. So that's either acquired through an RTK GPS system or a LIDAR. A LIDAR is a preferable method because it's covering every square foot of the field, but it's only available in limited places. So if there is no LIDAR available, we need RTK data using a mobile base station and high quality elevation data is a very critical part of swap maps. Then the other part we need is electrical conductivity. And there are several different sources of electrical conductivity data. And we've used, I guess, three of the major sources. We started using various machines and then we switched to EM38. And then we also have some topsoil mappers or TSMs. And in the early days, were you able to get the level of quality when it comes to data that you have now? And maybe talk about that journey of trying to get as high a quality of data as possible. So where we started mapping in the Nakum, Saskatchewan area, Northeast Saskatchewan, there is a lot of soil variability. The first year or two, we had sufficient soil moisture levels. We used a Varus machine, started with one, and then Corey bought a second unit. So we ran two of them. Another local guy from, from the town of Nakam and I kind of toured all over eastern Saskatchewan from north to south. I was on my own the first year, and then I think it was maybe the second or third year, I can't remember, that the second unit was brought on board. So Averis works a lot better if there's adequate soil moisture. When the ground starts freezing, the Varus does not work. So some days I'd have to wait around until the soil would warm up and thaw out before I could mop for the day. We also ran into dry conditions eventually, and this Varus needs soil penetration or you don't get any recording. So that became another issue, and especially the, when we went down to the southern part of the province, it was it's typically drier there. In 2010, it was a very wet year. It rained like nonstop all summer. So then it became too wet to map because you just couldn't drive in the field. So then Corey bought an EM38 from Geonics, and that is a non-contact electrical conductivity instrument. So soil moisture is not a factor and it works in frozen soil as well. That kind of is good and bad, I guess, because then at least with the Varus, there was an end in sight because when the ground froze, the work was done for the year, but with the EM38, the thing that stopped work then was when the snow got too deep to drive through, which by the end of the fall, I was getting totally exhausted, but with an EM38, the season lasted longer. Right. So they wanted to keep you uh, driving fields year round. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the beginning days, there was no such thing as smartphones. Texting was new when I started doing this. So I started mapping around Nakam with customers that Corey had already 
had established with his crop scouting business, Crop Pro Consulting. So he'd draw me a rough map on a piece of paper with some landmarks and say, here, this is your field, go find it. And sometimes it'd be like 20 miles away or 30 miles away. So I'd venture off not having a clue where I was going. Like I was brand new to the area. I'd driven through Nakam on the highway once before. So here I am out trying to find these fields. Eventually we got RM maps and used them to find the fields. But it's quite interesting how things have changed in all types of technology since 2008. Did you ever go drive the wrong field? A few wrong fields have been mapped, yeah. Not very many, actually, but some wrong fields have been mapped, and it even still happens today. And sometimes it worked out good because in a few cases, we were able to pick up a new customer. (laughs) Hey, look at this. This is your field. That was another really cool thing about making SWAT maps is when you go to the farmer and show them the map and they say, yeah, I recognize my field there. And at that time, did you all already have a process for getting that data and then processing it into kind of a proprietary map or did that all need to be developed from scratch? From day one, we started using GK technology software and those days it was called Egg Data Viewer. It's basically two guys from Minnesota, North Dakota, that had this GIS software that was very much agricultural specific. And it had built-in components that we used to make SWAT maps. And they went through a branding name change. And it's now called ADMS, or Egg Data Mapping Solution. And we still very much use that today. We also use our own proprietary SWAT records. It started as crop records, and we went through a branding change to SWAT records a couple of years ago. And what piece does the SWAT records provide, you know, for the SWAT maps? So we've automated some map making processes, and then it's also the record keeping part of uh, SWAT maps. So we make several SWAT maps for every field, and then one of them is chosen by an agronomist when they're ground truthing. So then we um, capture an image of the map and then that becomes part of what we call a Gregorate report. And in there we break down by field how many acres per zone. The soil test data, soil sample data is imparted into SWAT records and that becomes part of the report. And then the agronomist determine the uh, application rates for whatever nutrient or amendment they're applying per zone. And then we export that data out as a CSV back into ADMS and generate the controller file from there. Very cool. And in the field, you said the agronomist is looking at multiple maps and choosing one. How many maps are they looking at? And are they just making the choice based on, okay, that looks most accurate or how are they making that decision? Yeah, so a SWAT map is a combination of elevation slash topography and electrical conductivity kind of merged together in different weightings. So we make several maps for a field. Typically, it's 10 maps, sometimes 15, sometimes 5, depending on the area. I have other colleagues that make maps as well. There's kind of three of us main 
map makers, so we kind of are familiar with what types of maps to make for different areas. Like we could make like 60 maps per field, but then that becomes very cumbersome for the agronomist to choose a proper map. So we don't want to overwhelm them. So we make the most likely types of maps for each specific area. So then when they're all ground truthing, they're picking the best map that represents the field they're in based on several, like it could be based on topography or soil characteristics. Some areas, there's lots of soil variability. Some areas, it's more a topography-driven landscape. Gotcha. And could you maybe walk us through kind of a hypothetical example of how you might approach that process? So out here in eastern Canada, Atlantic Canada, there isn't a lot of soil variability, but there's lots of topography variability. So the maps out here are more driven by topographical features. So hills, mid-slopes, depression areas. As I said, in, around Nathan or Northeast Saskatchewan, there's a lot of soil variability. So you can have sand, clay, and salinity sometimes very close together. Like sometimes at a hundred foot square, you could have those three different types of soil. Electrical conductivity has a great bearing on the maps in that geographic area. Yeah. And do you ever kind of get the data in and something just not look right? Is that part of what you're doing is kind of reviewing the data for quality and be like, well, hold on, that that doesn't look right. And if so, is that just something that kind of comes with time? Yeah. I've looked at like hundreds of thousands of acres of EC data from basically Alberta to Prince Edward Island. And probably 13 or 14 states in the United States. So I've seen a lot of stuff. And EC data is rarely perfect. There's usually something wrong with the EC in every field. So as a map maker, it's our job to do a critical scan of what we see on the computer and remove the anomalies. And sometimes we have to adjust the data because there's a shift from a temperature change or something moved on the swap box. So we have to fix the data. We know what it should look like. So sometimes we have to manipulate it to make it look right. In ADMS and SWAT records, we have the ability to view things in 3D. So that's very, very important. Sometimes you can look at an EC map in 2D and it looks terrible and you think like something's majorly wrong. But you look at what appears to be wrong in 3D and it makes total sense. Or sometimes it doesn't make sense either, but looking at data in 3D is like a light bulb experience. That's really cool. And who taught you how to do this? I mean, was there somebody to kind of walk you through how this is done? And it seems like something that you have the benefit now of over a decade of working on this stuff. How do you teach someone else to do it? Yeah, so Kelly Sharp from, from GK Technology kind of got me headed in the right direction. I had zero prior GIS experience. I basically learned by trial and lots of errors. And I'm still learning. Like, there isn't hardly a day goes by where I don't learn something new, whether it's a technique or seeing something I've never seen before. 
and how has the company changed? You know, if we were to go back 10 years to 2011, does the company look today like you would have thought it would look in 2021? Or how has the company changed from your perspective? When Corey hired me, it was only going to be the two of us forever. But now it's between CropPro and CropTomistic, there's probably 30 to 40 employees, I guess. Things are a lot easier now than they used to be. Like I, I've actually never used a swap box personally. I always did things the hard way. In the first years, mapping with the Varus, the data was just recorded on a compact flashcard. I didn't see the data until I went home at night and stuck the card in my computer and opened it up to see that the data was actually even there or if it was good. Or like there's a lot of things that can go wrong with the Varus machine. You can get broken wires or different things that can happen. You can build up with mud that messes up the data. So until I went home at night, I didn't have any idea whether I even had data. And then eventually we put a computer in the truck and logged the data through FarmWorks originally, and then we switched to SMS eventually. So we could have an on-the-go map. So as the EC values change, the color would change on the map, and you could have a visual of what you're actually collecting and a backup of the data. Because if the compact flashcard was corrupted, you lost everything, which that happened a couple of times. You have to go back and remap. Eventually, we evolved into having the SWAT box, which was syncing live data to the server. And at the same time, we're painting a live map on either an iPad or a Samsung tablet or a phone even that's painting a live map as you're mapping. And, and I can even log on with my computer to any SWAT box as long as there's cell connection and see what they're doing. But then as soon as they're done mapping the field, that data is available on our server and we can start making them out before they're even driven out of the field. When we started using the M38, that was another huge learning curve because we just had a bare instrument. The Varus is a self-contained, ready-to-use piece of equipment. You have to have a, a GPS source to hook into it. Just basically hook it up to the truck, put it in the ground, turn it on, give it a source of GPS, NEMA, string, and away you go mapping. But the EM38 is just a bare instrument. So we had to have a sled or some kind of a device to house the instrument in that would protect it from the elements, being weather and whatever mud and rocks and stubble and whatever you might come across in the field. And we were told that it had to be 20 feet from any metal. So the sled had to be made completely of non-conductive components. So that meant a sled pulled with straps 20 feet behind the truck. That led to all kinds of trial and error type things. Especially around Nakam, there's lots of sand, as I've already mentioned, and rocks and very abrasive material. So when you pull this sled across, what you think is durable in no time is worn out. Like I mapped just on the edge of Regina one fall and it had snowed a skiff in the morning and that was good. I was able to go like just ride along on top of the snow, but then it warmed up and that clay gumbo there. As soon as it warms up, that stuff sticks to everything. 
and it starts building up and then pretty soon your sled is weighing three times what it used to weigh and there's a while there I had to stop every pass and scrape 12, six inches of mud off because it would just kept building up and wouldn't pull properly. So that's one of the very nice things about the SWAT box is it's hovering above the ground. It's not touching the ground. And we kind of broke the rule of you can't be anywhere near metal. As long as the, we call it interference of metal, as long as it stays consistent and nothing moves, then being close to metal is fine. So we're basically saturating the EC signal, but because we're working on an index type thing where it's a range of high EC and low EC and mid-range EC, it doesn't matter that we're saturating the signal. We went through like three or four different versions of sleds before we found one that, that actually had some longevity. And then my coworker, Derek Rood, came along as an R&D developer and he developed a SWAT box, which like that was a, a huge step forward. And not only did we have a, a better enclosure for the SWAT box, but then part of that was also the telemetry that we use now where the data is synced directly to our server. Another thing that's changed a lot is like I, I mentioned earlier that we make 15 maps per field. For the first couple of years, we made one map. It was over a process of time and trial and error that we have developed new ways to make SWOT maps out of the data we collect. And how did that get to 15? Did it just kind of slowly grow over time? Yeah. We went from one to three to probably six to eight. And we could make like 60 different types of maps if we used every method that we have. But like the SWAT maps we make now are far superior to what we used to make. It's easier to make SWAT maps in certain areas than it is in others. So Luckily, we started in an area that's easy to make SWAT maps. There's a good correlation between EC and topography around Nathan. Luckily, we started where we did because it was a lot easier. Then that helped us develop new techniques for making maps. Well, thank you very much to Brad Dunnington for sharing all of this information on today's episode. I personally really enjoyed both the background in how the technology has been developed, as well as getting a better understanding of all that goes into map making, which is a skill I didn't fully appreciate before talking with Brad here today. As always, you can learn more about everything we discussed at swapmaps.com. Are you finding value in this podcast? If so, please make sure you subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. And we'd love it if you'd leave us a rating and review either on iTunes or on Spotify while you're there. And if you have any recommendations for specific topics or guests or questions, please tweet them to us by using the hashtag SWAT Agronomy.